Yo mates, Cheeky Volley episode 12, men's semi-final preview, men's final preview, and overall Wimbledon talk. We got Alex in Arkansas. Little Rock, here we, we out here. And then in London, straight from Henman Hill, Asher Jelani and Dave Pratt. Thank you very mates. much for having me. Uh, Kabir, who is who is Dave Pratt? Dave the Legend Pratt joining Dave, me for the first time. Dave the Legend Pratt, Anirudh Mathur's childhood friend, um, who was in, living in Leeds for some time, has been in London for three years, big tennis fan, um, cheeky one-handed backhand. Yeah, and can I, can I just say, whenever you refer to me on this podcast, just you can call me the legend, that's fine. I the legend. To that too. Yeah. <laughs> Dave, do you, prefer, do you prefer the legend or the ledge? Yeah, El Legendo, it's, it's all the same to me. Right? <laughs> any, any language you want to speak it, I can, I can deal with that. <laughs> all right. All right, so they say what? It's their 14th Grand Slam meeting, but 39th meeting overall. I think it was and the 40th, 40th meeting. 40th. Oh, sorry, 40th overall, 40th overall. But okay, so first, the reason this is interesting in one respect is that the 2008 Fed Nadal final is like widely considered the greatest match of all time. So I was thinking about that. And do you guys remember where you were? Because where I was was pretty funny. Mm. I remember. Do I remember, you guys yeah. remember where you watched it? Where did you watch sorry, the 2008 I was, match? I should introduce myself to the viewers as a very casual tennis fan. But that was the the epic one where there was like a rain delay in the middle and a true true biblical story. Yeah, it was a brilliant okay. one. <laughs> yeah. No, I, I, was, I was just home. I was in, in Miami. I watched it in Miami. Asher? Uh, well, yeah, luckily... Uh, well, there was a chance I wasn't going to watch the match because uh, I used to play cricket every Saturday and Sunday. But in my Saturday game, I, a good, I got a whacked good on, British I, childhood. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> on Saturday, I got whacked on my arm, and that put me out of the Sunday game. So uh, I got to stay at home in my living room and watch it. <laughs> okay, so I that summer I worked. Uh, I would teach tennis in the mornings, and I worked at Gino's Pizza in the evenings. Gino's Pizza is this like. <laughs> I lived in a small town. It was like the one pizza shop in our town. And that like before the town kind of got more people started to move in, there's just this one old Italian pizza shop. And I think maybe, I don't know if I had tennis that morning, but whatever the case was, because of the rain delay, the match went so long. So by the time I had to go into Gino's, which was like the, I was like the evening shift. Maybe I went in around three, worked there till like late in the evening. I watched the whole match in the uh, making pizzas at Gino's. <laughs> and, uh, it was pretty incredible, but I remember it really vividly. So, anyways, Mate, was, was, there, little... was there a specialty pie? Dude, their pies were so bad, and uh, <laughs> the way it ended is eventually <laughs> it was run by this family, and eventually the father, who I'd say is about my dad's age, and the grandfather who opened it, got into a physical fight, and the place ended up like closing down after <laughs> being open for like fifty years. Um, and the guy ran a booking service out the back door, so people would oh, come in sick. and place bets. Oh, I love this place. Maybe, maybe, <laughs> maybe get Gino on the pod to talk about betting odds. With <laughs> <laughs> yeah, let's let, let get him on with Brett. Gino very well might not be alive anymore. <laughs> oh man! But uh, anyways, R.I.P. All right, Gino's pizza. So first, okay, draws the Fed draw, the Nadal draw. Asher, you wanna you wanna start here? Like, I feel like his. In the preview, you were saying Nadal had a super difficult draw. He only lost a set to Kyrgios, right? Our boy. And then, which I would say we can go to that later. But I think I still think that was maybe the best match of the tournament. Agreed. Yeah, um, yeah. For sure. I mean, Fed seemed like he was rolling, but what, what, or Fed, I guess, kind of started off maybe a little slow. Asher's and, boy, Lloyd Harris, had a, had a, had a set. I mean, really, Asher, you, you start. <laughs> but basically, it's to me, every watch I matched, every 
match I watched of his was he kind of started off slow, maybe dropped the first set and then got it going, but never looked like it made it kind of hard to know what he was going to show up, how he was going to show up for this match. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Like uh, he he had he had pretty easy matches throughout, so he wasn't he wasn't really tested. He was always in his comfort zone. Um, I think uh, one thing to note is that the courts uh, this week. So in the in the preview pod, I said that it had been raining a lot in London this summer. Uh, so I expected them to be low and and quick, but for some reason they were, which is what normally happens on grass courts, right? But what happened is that so they were super low this week. Even all the players were saying is the lowest they've ever been, and but they they were slow for some reason. Uh, and that sort of the the slowness, you would expect that to, to sort of not 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 really favor Roger. But um, I think the low bounces like really suits his game to a T. Uh, he can really use that slice. Um, he never he never really looked troubled throughout the tournament. Um, he was very comfortable playing throughout. Uh, never really tested. So so going into this match, like Rafa had a more uh, more challenging draw. He had Nick Kyrgios in the second round. Nick he played his like best tennis. Rafa was just too good. Then he like rolled Songa next round. Then the draw kind of opened up for him a bit. I think because Chilich lost. Uh, who did Chilich lose to in like round two? Um, Jao Sosa. Jao Sosa. Was it like straight sets as well? Yeah, I think it was six four, six four, six four, something yeah, like that. So I think that kind of helped Rafa because uh, Chilich would have been a tough match. But Rafa looked great. Uh, Rafa looked in like super good form after Kyrgios. He was like rolling everyone. Uh, looked great in the fourth round. Looked great in the quarter. So he was actually Bookie's favorite going into the the Federer match. I think just because of his form. And he was. Can you talk about how Rafa changed his game? Because he definitely was not. I mean, I think return to serve. He was playing pretty far back, but otherwise he was trying yeah. to play close to the baseline. His backhand was a little different. Could be or any thoughts. Well, real, yeah. I mean, segueing into that, uh, just to, tr- to transition into that, Dave, can I get your thoughts on the Nadal Kyrgios match? Oh, I mean, that was that was a spectacle, and that's exactly like why I love tennis, and it's like the reason why I think the more context you have for watching a sport, like the better it gets. Because yeah. the more I learned about Kyrgios, the rivalry, and like why it was such an anticipated game, <laughs> it just adds like so much more tension to every single point being played, and. I'll put my cards on the table. I'm a huge Kyrgios fan. Um, yeah, yeah. Don't think underhanded serves uh, are dodgy at all. Um, and I kind of like the mental aspect of Kyrgios' game, like trying to get into like a perfect professional's head. Mm. It's just <laughs> quite hilarious. And, like You can't really lose if you don't take the game as seriously mm-hmm. as the other person. And then, yeah, on top of that, just talking to a Wimbledon umpire like they're, like they're a parking officer. It's just... Like, <laughs> It's just unreal. Huge no, I think game. I think that's so well said. Um, yeah, I'm to- I wanna, uh, Kabir, you go, you go. Yeah, I'm totally for the underhand serve. When Nadal's standing 16 feet behind the baseline, he's totally asking for it. I think it's a totally legitimate play. A question for everyone: Is the way to beat Nadal is the strategy to dis- disrespect him? Well, I was going to ask: Did it work? It was close. I mean, that was a tough match. That was in some ways. It, in some ways, it made him play at a higher level. In some ways, yeah, exactly. yeah, I agree with that. Him. <laughs> but I, uh, he needs to get. I want to. I, I want to come back to the Nadal Kyrgios match after we talk a little bit more about this match because I have some uh, some thoughts of the way they contrast. So okay. I'm, I'm going to hold my hold my hold my thoughts for a second. Yeah. So I think cheeky volley wise, this was a pretty stellar tournament in terms of predictions. We got. Many matches right, including Zverev out first round. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that was. Wait, did we say first or third though? So we, I said we started, third. We started, Asher said yeah, first yeah. round. 
<laughs> I think I think Alex what, he, fourth. He, he, he played Vesely. He I was played like, now first. Yeah, he, he played Yuri Vesely, right? I said I said uh, Dominic Team out first round. That happened. No real what, surprise. What? Sam Quarry beat Team. Mm, what Six about the uh, what's that? The Roundich's Roundich corner. Lost to Pella. I mean Guido Pella. That guy. Is I mean he's beaten three Wimbledon finalists: Kevin Anderson, Chilich, Raonic. Hailing from the mean streets of, uh, of like Buenos Aires, though. <laughs> he's from yeah. Argentina. But I mean I think no surprise in the draw. Right? I mean we we expected Federer Nadal. And I think we we agree that it would be a Federer Djokovic final. Right? Uh, well, I, well, well, we we were uncertain about uh, Novak's mental state. But right. I think I think we we were kind of proven right in that. Like throughout the tournament, he has been doing some sketchy things, like yeah. getting like like telling the crowd to be quiet in uh, in his semis Robert. against uh, Robbie Bats uh, yesterday. <laughs> in um, the the semi, Djokovic versus Roberto Bautista Agut, <laughs> aka Wait, we... aka Bobby Bacala. <laughs> <laughs> are we are we talking about Robbie Bats now, or is that after the? After no, no. The let's let's talk a little bit about about after this. All right, after this, after this. Yeah, okay, we could okay, do a whole episode got, on Bacala. I got a lot of thoughts on Bacala and Djokovic. For, wait, also, can we just, for those of you who aren't Sopranos fans, Bacala <laughs> is a junior soprano, Tony's uncle's uh, right, like driver. caretaker, driver, uh, great guy. Training. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, so. <laughs> okay, continue. Yeah, there, 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 there are a lot of. On, on Djokovic's uh, mental game, there were, there were a lot of uh, the patented uh, off-balance exaggerations. Oh, yeah. The uh, accompanying, but, like, problems from it. He was rolling, though, no? I feel like he, had, he was destroying people. Yeah, but at the same time, the, the people, aside from Bautista, and even Bautista, you know, he was in really good form this tournament. I mean, yeah, fair. He's beat him twice this year. But, you know, Djokovic... His draw wasn't. And they say it's was one of the easiest Grand Slam draws in a in a yeah. long time. No, I mean, Goffin quarterfinal. Maybe Goffin is a threat on hard court. The grass court, not really. Oh, well, in the first Goffin, set, in the first set, is Goffin, Goffin, was, on, Goffin like, was on top. Yeah, no, it's true. He was. Yeah, but is is Goffin not like Djokovic? And then, but like five to ten percent worse in every part of the game. Uh, yeah, yeah, that's uh, that's not a bad like. That's not a bad analogy. So yeah, you I mean, expect think, Novak to get through him pretty, pretty easily. I think we said on the last episode that if Djokovic wasn't 6-2 and he had a one-hander, he'd be Kohlschreiber. If Djokovic <laughs> wasn't 6-2 and he had a two-hander, he'd be Goffin. Yeah, or if, Djokovic, if Djokovic was a little uh, less of a freak, I just feel like he'd be... Like the, the kind of... The mid-level ATP Djokovic is like a Goffin. Yeah. 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 And by mid-level, I mean like pretty high level. But he played <laughs> Kudla, Hurkac, Umber, then he, he did, played he Goffin. Did, he, did, he did drop a set. He dropped the second set to, to Hurkac. Yeah, Hurkac he was playing really well. Mm-hmm. Super promising. It, I'm, I'm knocking at the door, knocking at the I'm door. I'm optimistic. Yeah, I'm pretty optimistic about Hurkac. And then, okay, but so let's go into Nadal Fed, and then we'll come back to Robbie Bats in a little bit. Come back to the surface. So, Asher, you're saying the surface was playing closer to a more traditional glass, grass surface, but it was slow? Uh, yeah, the the bounce was definitely traditional, so the bounce was super low. Like uh, Federer said, it was like five centimeters lower than uh, he's ever played on it before. Mm. Um, Good use of the metric system. <laughs> the the speed the speed was much slower though, so you you're seeing less aces, less like clean winners. Uh, mm. But but if you look at if you look at the Nadal Federer rivalry, um, sort of like Federer does do better on fast courts, but 
if you look at the lower bouncing surfaces, so he did beat Nadal at Hamburg in 2007, even though, even though that's a clay court, that's a low bouncing clay court. Mm-hmm. So I think I think in in this matchup the bounce is sort of more of a of an impact has more of an impact than the speed per se. Because I just feel like in general they should I feel like there was this move a few years ago or maybe within the last decade where all the different surfaces were playing similarly. Like I feel like the surfaces shouldn't th- them kind of there was a time when they were sort like U.S. Open was getting slower, grass was playing more like maybe a hard court or something, which I feel like is really uninteresting and. I feel like the grass court should favor, like, like if you're a good serve and volleyer, you should be able to be very effective on the grass. You're, and you're not kind of this kind of, like, like <laughs> turning into long rallies on the grass. I feel like it should play closer to... Cause the, the only few times I played on grass were on old grass courts where, like, if, you slice, if your slice serve is, like, big enough, it's, it's so hard to return. If I remember right, the first, the first time Alex played on grass, it was in India <laughs> against a brigadier. <laughs> <laughs> but dude, those those grass courts were built by the British like 300 years ago. So I think you're, you're, what you're basically saying is like, if you look back in like the 90s when Ivan Isovich played, if the courts mm-hmm. at that time were playing like they were today, his game wouldn't have been as effective. Yeah, or, Mac- think, think or like the way Macron would play in grass. Yeah. Like basically, I mean, I that's agree. I'm, I'm, I'm down for be the... should destroying Rafa on grass. Yeah. If the grass I, is playing right. I don't know about this new rye grass. I like, I, I mm-hmm. kind of like the old one. Um, well, the, well, one of the reasons why I think in general, like tennis started changing uh, surface speeds uh, around the late 90s and early 2000s was because they were super worried that it was just going to be, be like Goran Ivanisevic versus uh, Richard Krychek in like the final of every tournament. And these guys just serving down aces and the match is going like 7-6, 6-7. But I think since then, the the strings have changed. So like mm-hmm. everyone's using the, the polys, which means that you get a lot more spin. So returning is a lot easier. So I think now they, they should actually go back and have like, uh, surfaces of different speeds and bounces, right? So mm-hmm. that we get like or uh, a more variety of, of different tennis. So like guys like Michael Lodra, seeing them in the semis of Wimbledon would be pretty cool. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then you can still have like Rafa and like Dominic Team like crush it on at a Roland Garros. Mm-hmm. Right. R- related to this 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 topic of the way courts play and you know what it does to players. We could do a whole segment on this, but I think this is interesting. Just the how stats are being incorporated into play, and now, like for this tournament, IBM is the partner, and they package matches. I think players can—I don't know if they have to pay or if it's they get it as a um, just a courtesy being the tournament, but they get like a twenty to thirty-minute uh, analysis of their opponent and stats and everything. No, so it's just you know begs the question of. How effective is this and is it good for the sport? But just interesting, if you go to the Wimbledon site and you go into the IBM stats, they did a keys to the Federer-Nadal match. Mm-hmm. And this is ridiculous. So here's one of the IBM <laughs> keys for the match for Federer. Literally, I'm, I'm not even embellishing here. Have a second serve kick height greater than 1.6 meters. <laughs> But yeah, that's, that's good. Like, pretty good when, advice, though. That's right, pretty good when, advice. Uh, when, when Federer is serving over there, he's, uh, and he loses like a point in the second serve, he's like, hmm, I don't think that was, uh, <laughs> that was 1.6 meters. And the second statistic or prediction was win more than 36% of first serve return points. 36%. I mean, realistically, you, you can't really compete in that match if you're winning less than 70%. So I don't know about these stats. It's kind of sketch. It's not right. I know that... Uh, Novak, Novak has like a stats guy in his corner. I think Craig O'Shaughnessy, right? He's like Novak hires. I think. Right? Oh, that's pretty funny. I didn't he, know that. that. That's funny though. He works for. I think Craig O'Shaughnessy writes for Tennis Channel, maybe. Any of you guys know? 
but he uh, he's like tennis strategy coach, and he, he does all these things with stats. He has this website, Brain Game Tennis. Now, whether it's nonsense or like really useful, unclear. But uh, we'll try to get him on. Be working for yeah. We yeah. Can on the pod. How'd the match play? How'd the match play? So oh, yeah. so first first set is just like uh, everyone's just serving rockets. Like both guys, <laughs> there's just like every game is like love hold, love hold, love hold. Um, you couldn't really tell who was on top in the rallies because they were just serving so well. I think Federer got, had like one break point, which is the only break point in the set. Uh, so that just like went through super quick. <laughs> uh, then we get to the tie break. Rafa goes up uh, mini break in, in the tie break up twice, like one love and three two as well. Mm. Uh, then after that, I thought I thought Federer just played too well. Mm-hmm. What, what did what did what did you guys think about that tie break? Yeah. Um... You know, every now and then, you know, in, in Federer matches, there's a point or two that he loses and you kind of, you get that 2016 feel where he's destined to lose the match. And, you know, that, I think it was the first or second point of the tiebreak where he hit the, the, the forehand drop volley that all scrambled, got the yeah, slice. Yeah, and yeah incredible, the, incredible you know, love, yeah. Maybe you saw that and you caught to think, oh, off a mini break, you know, maybe this is going to be, you know, Nadal 7-3, 7-4. But, man, Federer forehand yesterday, hitting it. I mean, he was hitting it like half volleys. He was so on top of the baseline, moving it all around so much, hitting up the line really well. Um, did you did you did you think that the first set was uh, was crucial for like either guy? I think historically, Feder Federer's needed to win the first set against Rafa and uh, and Novak. Did you I think? think for, so, I think so, for Federer I, I, it was crucial. I don't think for Rafa it really mattered. But it seemed like the fact that Fed was winning, he's winning almost all the long rallies. Mm-hmm. It felt like yeah. Um, and that is pretty unusual. I feel like that's a pretty if you can beat Rafa in long rallies, you're gonna have a pretty good chance of winning. Because I feel like he builds a lot of his momentum from just grinding, yeah. winning those long rallies. Yeah, so I, I think I think the real like tactical um, sort of the core of the match was in the third and fourth sets, right? Because in in the second set, uh, Federer got a couple of break points early. He then lost them, and then he sort of just um, switched off mentally. I think for like just a couple of minutes, and then that set just like went away from him. So then we got into the third and fourth sets, um, which which were pivotal, right? And I think I think Rafa like had definitely made a tactical error. Uh, so historically in this rivalry, he's just pretty much like pumped the forehand into the into the Federer backhand, like played sort of risk free tennis, uh, stood like way behind the baseline. But in this match, he sort of kept trying to do the same thing, and it just wasn't working. Federer, like as Kabir just said, he was just on the baseline, taking everything early. He was able to direct the ball much better. And it, do you think that in the Nadal press conference, pretty interesting. One of the reporters basically said, you know, we, we noticed that you used to do that. You didn't do it today. And pretty amazing. Nadal base is uh, almost verbatim. What he said is, yeah, because that doesn't work anymore. Yeah, yeah, which is interesting because he said it doesn't work anymore. But I, I didn't feel like he was changing his strategy. Like I expected him to yeah. try to hit more angles, try to get further up in the court, right? Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. he was just standing so far behind, like he had no sort of initiative in the points. Like he was hitting, he was hitting it hard, but it was always well, you're right. You're saying he was standing, he was uh, standing far behind the baseline in rallies or in yeah, yeah, yeah in, in rallies, in, in, in rallies. rallies as well. And because throughout the tournament, he was playing close to the baseline, no. Yeah, yeah, he was. But, but I guess yeah. I guess he's beaten Federer so many times in the past. He just has the same movie in his head, so he kind of he kind of was struggling to sort of change his game up to mm. this sort of different Federer. Another point too that I think we we alluded to when we did the um, Wimbledon preview and about why I think Fed got to the final is I think we were talking about how French Open he was coming to the net so much and playing so well. I mean, winning in matches upwards of seventy percent of the net points. 
yesterday's match, he came to the net 33 times, won 25. So 76% net points. Mm-hmm. Pretty good. Yeah, I think, I think, and, yeah, I think and Rafa didn't look that great. Rafa didn't look great at the net. Yeah, and he, yeah. he bought some volleys, played some loose volleys. 55% like, that, that play. I feel like maybe Federer was hitting a little bigger. So Rafa's, I think his volleys rely on him getting good position more than him having great hands. Um, there, there was a big one in the uh, break point in the third set, which Federer won, in which Rafa had like a super shaky forehand volley. And then yeah. it was like a funny rally in which Federer goes like cross court. And then, oh, yeah, uh, yeah. And then Rafa sort of just manages to flick it back up and then Federer like kills it take it back for a second because mm-hmm. i wanted to start with this and i didn't this is my actual take on the match okay <laughs> fourth set was amazing first set was first set was good fourth set was amazing but the overall like a lot of self-congratulatory like oh this is so great and historic like oh that's a shot of interest by federer by the uh like, <laughs> the booth and everyone covering the match I think he is so tired. And like the, the match was the first and fourth set were pretty classic, but like the middle two sets were terrible. Federer the the Feder throws the second set. Third set, he basically wins like six one. There was like a it was it goes to six two, Rafa gets a break. Like I don't think either of those middle sets were that interesting. Um there were some good long rallies. And then there's a lot of like just being way too gentlemanly for the stakes. Like that yeah. point in the breaker where Fe- the the serve is called out. Fetter challenges on behalf of Rafa. Fetter historic. Maybe is he the worst challenger in history? He, he was like oh for how, what were his challenges? Like oh for like he needs to go to the eye doctor. What was he oh for? I, I feel like his last challenge was he was like oh for five or something. He ch- but right. so for those of you who maybe didn't watch the match as closely, it's Fed. It's fourth set. Deuce Feder has the chance to go up by uh, uh, go up for t- to get his first match point. Rafa hits a big serve that clips the line. Feder kind of half volleys his backhand, which his backhand was good at some points, but still was missing a lot, especially early on. Rips a winner like a beautiful return. Just kind of redirects <laughs> it using all the pace, um, and he's about to get match point against someone who historically comes back against him really well and he's like oh like for the like the good of the you know the gentlemanly part of the sport he he challenges he challenges on behalf of rafa they say it's in which then gives rafa the point and i was like no no he didn't he didn't challenge on behalf of rafa i don't think he uh he as in he he didn't realize that his return was so good these are the life choices of a rolex ambassador i mean i guess he, he ended up winning so it wasn't a big deal but this is when i want to come back to the curios match because he like, I feel like the Kyrgios match at least felt a little bit like they went to war. People were making a big deal of Kyrgios trying to hit Rafa at net. Like, I feel like anyone who plays tennis knows that's a great play. If you have a ball to smash and you can go straight at them, you rip it at them. And the most amazing thing about that Kyrgios shot when he went at Nadal was he did it from the baseline. It wasn't like a mid-court, like, short ball. I don't know. Continental Grip Loose slaps it at Rafa. And to, not, to be a professional tennis player and not have the hands to... Just put that back. Like he, the, that ball was hit so hard. I think that's an amazing shot. And then the coverage was like, oh, it was like impolite. Like I just don't think that's what the sport needs. The, a lot of the things surrounding the match, I thought, were pretty boring. Where was any of the young guys in this? Sisi Pass going out early. Ali Asim, I feel like it's he's still too young to have expectations for him. But I feel like some of these other next gen guys. I've had a pretty firm opinion on this. Those guys aren't, they don't really know how to play on grass. And just by virtue of them mm-hmm. having good seasons and being top 10 doesn't mean they're thrown on grass at all. So I'm, I'm really not that surprised that 
I mean, yeah, I mean, maybe first round, that's a little surprising, but I'm not really not surprised they didn't make it to the second week. I mean, dude, realistically, team, structurally, I don't think he can be a grass court player. Sitsipas, and these what? Looks, these, is it Sitsipas young guys looks, just don't, people don't practice that much on grass yeah, until I mean, they're look, pros? Sitsipas looks like he's a grass court player, but you need to be a grass court specialist to make it to the second week and challenge. Dude, he's got, he's got long hair and eastern forehand. What else can you want for a grass court <laughs> do, player? Do, do, Kabir, do you think these guys are spending too, too much time on Instagram? Too much time dabbing and playing Fortnite. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> that little rant was my general take on the the week that was and the the match in general. Um, no, I, I did think the goal. end of I the think... end of the fourth set I thought was incredible. Like those last two games were amazing. Sorry, Dave, what were you gonna say? I just think that like, you made a pretty good point about like the state of tennis in general and especially like the Wimbledon crowd just being very like they wanted the good guys to win and like they didn't want any like uh, sort of rupture of like the, the, the illusion of like polite tennis. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, they wanted to see <laughs> yeah. a beautiful Federer backhand returned by like a grunting Nadal for yeah. a line. And it just frustrated me how like you have a character like Nadal who's, you know, just basically a tennis playing robot, like doesn't do much else beyond that. And then you have like a real human being with all their flaws and curios. And the crowd are just completely all for Nadal. And I'm just like, where's, where's the heart? Where's, like, where's the appreciation of like... The, the young people feel. love Kyrgios, though. I, I think almost to a fault. I want They're to like see Kyrgios so make a run at the US Open. That would I, I don't be think it's so going to happen. I, I don't think he's happen. good enough. It seems like the grass is the place it can happen for him because his serve is lethal. Like, yeah. Just remember last year when he played Roger at US Open and Federer just destroyed him? We were yeah. at that match. The topic of Wimbledon crowd is, is pretty funny. So in my in my office last week, uh, I, was, I was talking to the guy next to me about Wimbledon and I was just like slating the Wimbledon crowd. I was just like, these guys, these guys are so tame. It's like even when Andy Murray plays, they're like so bad in terms of like how they support him. Like every close point, they just get super nervous. <laughs> they, they just start yelling out when like he's hit it in and they, they just basically, they make it as hard for him as possible, right? And then just this um, this English girl in the office, she says like, I beg your pardon. Like, uh, I will not stand for this criticism of the British public. <laughs> this is how we all talk. <laughs> That's good. Wimbledon oh, crowd is just like an embarrassment to the English population in general. I think we should all just stay in Wimbledon and not leave West London. To be <laughs> I just want that on record. <laughs> We're not like that. No, Cheeky Volley needs to intervene and shake things up. Hell yeah. but I, no, I think it's on the players. Like, this should be... I feel like those... I think the casual tennis fan never understands how competitive tennis is. Like the focus you need to win one of those matches mm-hmm. is insane. And if yeah. Federer is giving, he's giving away a point to go up match point. Like, I just think that's bad form. <laughs> and you, I would never teach a kid to do that. Like, it's nice to you. Like, you don't want kids cheating, but like if, if someone calls a ball out that you think maybe is in, you just move on and take the point. Is that dishonest? I don't think so. <laughs> I, I like. Um, do you guys think? I'm, do you guys not agree? No, no, no. I think I think that the challenge helped Rafa out. But I don't think he was challenging for Rafa. I think he actually thought the serve was out. Yeah, I think I think there's a mis misinterpretation going on here. <laughs> Wait, what do you say? <laughs> so, so Rafa hit the serve, right? And then um, mm-hmm. Roger hit the shot. But as, as soon as he hit the shot, he thought his return was going out. So he challenged the in call for the serve. Uh, but then it just happened that his return went in. And so he challenged the wrong ball. And that's when he made that grimace because he just, he challenged the wrong ball. It, 
Had he so not Fred challenged thought, the serve, his return would have been in. Was the serve called in or out? The serve was called in. But Federer thought it was, was out. called in. Oh, so Federer just thought it wasn't true. Yeah. But it was a good round, though. Is it like, uh, we didn't, we didn't want to, we didn't want to, we didn't want to stop the flow there. Wait, are you, are you, that's definitely what happened? Yeah, but that, that's why he had that look on his face. It was like, oh, like, I could have just had match point. Yeah, even Rafa Wait, started laughing at that. <laughs> Wait, so the serve was called, the serve was actually, I thought the serve was called out. No, the serve was in. And then uh, sure Roger hit the return. Yeah. And then oh, hit Kabir, you might have to edit some of this stuff. Leave that in. World team tennis. <laughs> most of it most of it I still stand by though. Most of it I stand by. <laughs> no, we leave it in. We leave it in. Um, <laughs> okay. Um, all right. So let's briefly talk about Djokovic and uh, Bakala. Okay, RBA. First, can I just I want to preview this by uh, I have a friend who is also a tennis coach. Or he's a t- I, have a fr- I know someone who's a tennis coach, and I guess with some of their friends, they have different nicknames for pro tennis players. Or for Roberto Batista Agut, it's Robbie Bats, his American <laughs> name, which I think is the best nickname <laughs> pretty good. of any professional tennis player. So the Robbie Bats Novak four-setter, was it? Okay, so I was, I was on court during this, which is another, is it, how do you guys feel about playing tennis during big matches? Disrespect for the sport? Terrible, terrible. Be, yeah, it's not terrible, good form. Awful. Anyways. Yeah. For whatever reason, I was on court, and I kept being over. I, I saw the first set, and the first set, Novak destroyed Robbie Bats. What looked like I thought it was going to be like a, a pretty fast three setter, and then I was with. I didn't have my phone, so this the guy, another guy I was teaching with. I kept looking over him, being like, "Yo, what's the score? What's the score?" And he would like do a little cheeky look on his phone. It seemed like he took he took the second set right. Agut took the second set, yeah, and then. Third and fourth set, Novak still won in decent time. So, was it the uh, the gentleman's French fry, or was it French fry, or was it a real competitive four setter? Kabir, Asher, Dave. So the, I, I, the the third and fourth set, um, as soon as Djokovic got the break in the third, it was competitive up until then. But as soon as that happened, then he kind of uh, ran away with it. Bakla had a really good second set. Um, he has a pretty interesting game. He has this like. Eastern forehand, which goes like super flat and low, which it I think was going slow at first, but then it's fat. It, that, that shot is so weird to me. Yeah, it's I mean, like he, the, te- the, the technique worked, is so weird. Yeah, he it really worked his way shot. into the match. He started to get more depth on his shot, on his shots. He started hitting the serve a bit bigger. Um, second set, second and third sets, I think generally very competitive. There were some long rallies. A couple one, yeah. couple rallies went think, over thirty-two shots. Yeah, what happened in the third set is that Djokovic basically refused to play to Bakala's forehand. So he's just like, so they're just going cross-court. And Bakala can't hit like a backhand down the line hard. So they're just going cross-court, backhand, cross-court, backhand, cross-court, backhand for like 45 shots. <laughs> Bakala. Hey, Bakala. So I, uh, this, is, this is what I think is anytime Novak has to play a match that is followed or preceded by a fed Nadal matchup. He he gets in this weird mental space, and I was trying to think of an analogy. The only analogy I could come up with is this. Um, any of you guys adopted? No. Okay, so I don't want to offend anyone. Maybe I'm going to offend someone. <laughs> Anyways, this is the analogy I've got: is that Novak is like you have these two older siblings who are the biological kids of this family that is the tennis world. <laughs> Everyone loves guy. them. Feder has. Federer has like a clear defined style. He's excelled in school. He's like top of his class. 
really good at science and maths. Federer did go to Eton. Did he actually <laughs> go to Eton? No. <laughs> oh. um, okay. Yeah, he would have been on the tour by then. So, and then you have Rafa, who's like found his own way to play this brand of tennis that is like no one's ever seen before. It's it's very different to his older brother, and it's equally amazing. And then they've adopted this child from war-torn Serbia. So it's from he's he's coming from from the Eastern Bloc countries. He's like a little famished, very skinny, but actually better than both his brothers, but is never fully appreciated by the tennis world, even though any player on the tour would probably say he's better than both of them by just like match play. So he gets in this like weird inferiority complex when he's playing. And at certain points in the match, he realizes it. I think it happened in the French. He was pretty pissed that the stands were empty once it was time for him to come on. After Right? Because he followed Fed Nadal when he played yeah. team that day. Yeah. I think he was pissed <laughs> about that. And then this day, he just destroys them in the first set. The crowd is never as like loving to him as they should be. And then second set, he's just kind of pissed about it. So kind of has a mental lapse. Starts doing the, the this thing. Um <laughs> And then uh, I can see I, I was doing it in my room too. The the whatever the Novak appreciating the crowd, and so I just kind of think that's what was going on. Any thoughts? Yeah. You think it's a fair analogy? Yeah, yeah, that's good because um, I think with Federer and Nadal, they they sort of got the the real love from the parents like throughout, and so mm-hmm. they um, they they sort of don't crave it as much. While Novak sort of never really got that, so he's uh, Roger, super Roger insecure. always excelled in school. Rafa, was, <laughs> he was creative. He was very creative. But Novak, so, we're not sure about him. Boris Becker was comment- commentating on ESPN, and he actually spoke about this a bit yesterday. He did say mm-hmm. that when they started coaching for, for several years, Djokovic, he, literally he said, he felt very unloved. Just once to be like, <laughs> like, all the little jokes, the little pranks, the little impersonations, it's just like... As a man that's not letting his tennis do the talking, always feels like there must be someone else. Yeah, I think our little our man's got some demons, but he's gonna. He's probably is he gonna destroy Federer? Yeah, you think he's about to destroy? Robin? Yeah, like all that pent up aggression. Like he's already had a little bit of beef with the crowd in the semis. It's just like, oh, this is your boy, is it? Look at what I can do to your boy. <laughs> the last time, the last time they played Wimbledon final, 2015. I actually watched that match in South London with Dave and uh, Uday at a yeah. real mediocre pub um, where in south london was this it's like, a hotel. like a really sketch hotel like not too far from elephant and castle <laughs> in streatham dave, yeah, are you like a fan, dave are you a fan of streatham by dave <laughs> um yeah i mean it's good um <laughs> like glass of reset like alex uh yeah all right so i think that if fed recovers well mm. i think he can win yeah, I think I think the um, I think this the courts are different from when they played in fourteen and fifteen. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think the low bounce. I think he he can use this defensive slice and uh, offensive slice more against Novak and be more successful with it. Because Novak is the type of guy who who loves a rhythm, and by using this slice, he can sort of really break up that rhythm and sort of start to get under his skin, like in terms of game styles. Um, so I, I definitely think he has a better chance uh, this year than he did in twenty fifteen when they played. More so than the Federer-Nadal match, I think in this final, first set, critical. Yeah, I don't think he's ever beaten Novak in a Grand Slam when he hasn't won the first set. Yeah, first set is, is a decider. I mean, maybe if it's a close tiebreak, maybe not, but I still think first set is critical. Yeah, for Roger, definitely. But probably not as much for Novak, right? Yeah. 
at what point in the match are we going to see Novak starting to lose balance and doing the uh, the offhand, <laughs> all that? I mean, it's going to come out. You know, going into this final, he's 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 pissed that people aren't as excited to see Djokovic Federer, but Federer, <laughs> right? It's Federer in the final. Asher, are you betting on it? Are you going to bet on it? Uh, uh, probably not. I, I don't think so. I already had a bet on Federer before the tournament. Of winning uh, it all. Like, yeah. Um, so it, it, I might, I might hedge that. I might not. Um, I'll, I'll see tomorrow. Kabir, Dave. who are you taking? Who are, wait, okay, quickly, Kabir, who are you taking? How many sets, everyone? Ooh, mate. Ooh. Kabir's pretty good at predicting number of sets. Um, I would say Federer in four. Federer in four. Asher. Yeah. I think it's gonna be four sets. Um. My head, my head says uh, Djokovic in four. The heart, the heart says Roger in four. Yeah, <laughs> I'm where I'm agree with Asher. I agree with Asher. I, I do think Fed wants this really bad, and and I, this has to be his last Wimbledon final. No, I think, think he, he can has win another it. Wimbledon final in him. I honestly think he can win Wimbledon at age forty, the way he's playing. Asher, thoughts on that? Well, I mean, he's playing like much better this year than he did last year, right? So and in 2016, <laughs> yeah. And in 2016, yeah, that, was a, so. that was a weird year for him. Dave, who are you I taking? Mean, How many sets? Oh, Djokovic in three. Put your house on it. Oh, <laughs> oh put your house. Damn. You heard it here first. <laughs> um, okay, I, I think I'm going to go with. Uh, uh, I'm exactly where, where, uh, you know what, Djokovic and Djokovic and four both, uh, both head and heart tell me that. How many tie breaks? Uh, that's an interesting thought. And two. I think it's, I think, is it a first set tiebreak for sure? It only is, right? Between these guys? Yeah. I think in 20, yeah. these guys like the first set tiebreak. Because then in the press conference, they can say we both started off serving really well. <laughs> <laughs> 2014, there was a first set tiebreak. And in 2015, there was also a first set tiebreak. If Bacala is in the stands, who is he supporting? Bacala is a Roger guy. No, 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 no. Hang he on. plays, we he didn't plays the didn't purest tennis. He plays ba- tennis. I Bacala, Bacala was supposed. He was supposed yeah, to be yeah, yeah, Ibiza. Yeah. Wait, are we talking about the real Bacala, or are we talking about which Bacala? So, real quick, Bautista Agut was actually supposed to get married this weekend. He was yeah. going to have his bachelor party in Ibiza, um, but instead, his six friends flew and watched the semifinal. The yeah, Ibiza cool. six, they were calling them. Yeah. <laughs> All right, reel it in, Kabir. We have some housekeeping stuff. You going to run through it with us? Yeah, real quick before we get that to that though i'm curious to ask dave about david foster wallace and his thoughts on fed and uh, how relevant those writings are um currently in this dramatic wimbledon run oh i mean yeah it's that summer i i mention as often as i can to any passing tennis fans it's, it's also how i sort of learned to appreciate the game a lot more um david foster wallace is obviously a, an amazingly talented writer or was and um I think most people come into reading him through his nonfiction, specifically uh, an article he wrote about uh, Roger Federer, and it's titled Roger Federer as a Religious Experience. And I mean, it's a long article. Most of his stuff are. It's, it's really worth reading. But the, the crux of it is just, you know, a lot of live sports and all their, you know, uh, uh, dynamism and, and just the fast pace of it. It's easy to lose track of like, the mathematics of tennis, but then also the beauty of it. And it's something that's often lost on TV with like, you know, the whole foreshortening effect. And that if you watch tennis and if you watch Roger Federer, you'll see like what, like the essence, I think he calls it like the platonic essence 
of the game is. Um, just this man that has like complete control over his craft and like this very, very sublime way. And I would challenge anyone to read that article, then watch a game of tennis, ideally Roger Federer, and not you know come away with like a more, more profound or like enriching watching of the game and he's written a few others about tennis he actually grew up as like a semi-pro tennis player david foster wallace um and then turned to writing but um yeah he's his writing got me into tennis and i think anyone that's exposed to them will just enjoy watching it a lot more and understand what's going on really well i'm super into that Super By the way, there was there was a piece written this week which was Nick Kyrgios as a religious experience. <laughs> <laughs> now we're talking. I, I, I will send you. I'll, 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 I'll send you that. I'll send you Please that. It was a great. It was a great piece. <laughs> has Has Djokovic read the David Foster Wallace um, <laughs> paper? Absolutely. <laughs> anyway, this is the New York Times Magazine piece, right? It was in the. Mm-hmm. Is that okay? Yeah. Interesting. All right. So, real quick. A quick, quick update here. So last week on the 4th of July, actually, um, so as we've spoken about on this pod, Alex has been playing a lot of tennis this year <laughs> and he, um, he ripped back his starting sh- to hurt. Yeah. He ripped, his shoes. Back injury. he ripped his shoes actually. Um, so on the 4th, he called me and he's like, Hey mate, let, let's meet at Paragon, Paragon sports downtown in Union Square in New York. I've, I've got to get new tennis shoes. So I'm like, all right. Like the ma- major sports store in Manhattan. Major good, sports store. Good tennis um, shop. They, they match prices match. online. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> they, 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 they price match. So a lot of shoes. Babble well, at. I, I went there. Nike. I went there being like, I'm buying the vapors. Got to get the vapors. Yeah. Because the they're the, I, the new colorway sick. And then when I tried them on, I was like, ugh. I just feel like these like kids I would see at tennis tournaments growing up that like sit on their mom's laps, live in Southern Connecticut, have like the <laughs> nicest tennis gear. And I uh, I've had two straight pairs of Asics. And so I kind of went through, tried on every shoe. The guy helping us was really nice. Store was about to close. Tried on the Asics, all white, very kind of safe, conservative. You kind of look like a dental student. This, the <laughs> vapors were like a little sexier, definitely way less comfortable. Clearly, like the integrity of the technology seems trying. Uh, the Asics feel like they're going to at least prevent a few years of like maybe an ACL tear or something like that. And so I was with Kabir and Kabir, you, you can, you can take it from here. So Alex bought the vapors, but immediately, after, <laughs> immediately after he got the receipt, he returned And the store them. was closed. We were the last customer and it's already closed. So I Immediate- bought the vapors. Immediately okay. once the transaction was complete, he returned the vapors and bought the all white rheumatologist ASICs. Mm-hmm. Third year, my third, my residency third years. And I, uh, and dude, I couldn't, but now the question is, is he happy with his purchase? I couldn't be happier. The shoes are so much more tennis than any shoe on the market. And like, I agree. I could be, we saying this at first and I thought he was saying it to kind of just console me, but I do think like tennis players appreciate them and they're so comfortable <laughs> and the balance on them when you're on the run is amazing <laughs> Uh, so I would say Asics over Vapors, although the pricing of those shoes is absurd now. Like new Asics are like 170 bucks. These were price matched at 100. Tennis um, in general is just becoming way too expensive. The fact that rackets are over 230 is just egregious. But anyway, in terms of purchases, though, um, I think we started out the tournament. I don't know sure if Asher said this himself or if I just I I made <laughs> it a rule. At it. But the uh, the rule that I <laughs> what I what I proclaimed was that if Fed got to the final, Asher was going to buy a Rolex. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I've uh, I've just I've been on the the Rolex website. Um, 
it, it gives you it gives you Roger's watch itself. So I think if Roger wins, uh, that that's definitely being uh, purchased. How much is it? I think like five um, k. How much like was that. your bet on Federer to win the whole thing? It's it's only a hundred. <laughs> so I'm not going to make like, what, 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 a 350 profit cover it? <laughs> but cover Ash it. how much did you make yeah. how, much did you make during, how much did you make during French Open oh French Open was like a killer I mean like I think like I think maybe close to a K on the French Open nice. I think because uh, there was so much wind in the semis uh, so everyone was winning points from like one end but the, the, the bookies didn't realize or the betting markets didn't realize so I just kept betting on the end as opposed to like who was serving uh, so I made a killing there yeah, but but going going back to going back to Federer uh, and how he's like inspired all these purchases. I think isn't isn't Brett planning on buying like the whole uh, Uniqlo uh, oh, the yeah. all white kit, and he's yeah, going to so buy like a ni- like an eighty five square inch like pro stuff and get it strong. No, and Brett, Brett has Brett has but like already four eighty five inch. Pro yeah, he has, he has four of them. <laughs> so, with Dave, do you have any? Uh, do, do you do um, any thoughts on tennis betting? Uh, yes. Um, I don't know how much you know about my experience with tennis betting, but um, yeah, I've, I've been involved in that for a while. Um, there was a time, I think two years ago at the Australian Open, where um, basically, you know how betting odds are generated or, or the, the scores are generated from the umpire's chair. The umpire inputs the score and, uh, you know, basically that's where all like the betting sites get their data from. Mm-hmm. Um, for the Australian Open in 2017, they basically changed the technology provider who did that. And um, what that meant is on a certain betting website, um, they were using data that was behind the live data that you could actually get on the website. (laughs) And this was like the first round, um, about like one day it it lasted. And yeah, you could just see results come in before they would happen. And uh, yeah, did all right with that. Nice. Um, And I've done a bit of value (laughs) betting um, on in-play stuff, but... uh, yeah, I don't bet so much anymore for for business reasons. But yeah, it's definitely a good way to make money if you've got an edge. All the professional bettors I know do it for making value bets on tennis. So any aspiring listeners want to get into a soul-sucking hobby. Cheeky volley, <laughs> classic arbitrage. I think if you go, if you go to bet... Asher, what's that site? Bet365? I think they're running a cheeky volley promo right now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. enter, enter code um, cheeky fed. Uh, and you get 10% uh, odds boost on all Federer matches. <laughs> <laughs> what about, to finish up, Asher, can you take us through your mango shopping? Yeah, yeah. So I don't know if I'm going to be able to get through it today. So we, uh, <laughs> I, I did like a, lot of, a lot of errands. So I've been running around this morning uh, trying to do some stuff. Uh, well, one of, one of the things on my list was to buy some Pakistani mangoes, which are the, the best in the world, by the way. Uh, what is what's the difference between a Pakistani mango and an Indian mango? And are we sure Pakistani mangoes are better than Indian mangoes? And could you blind taste test the difference? Uh, uh, we're sure on all three accounts uh, for sure. Um, so <laughs> like, Pakistani mangoes those, are definitely better. You could definitely India tell the difference. <laughs> no, you, so, you need to have the the chosa. The chosa. Yeah, well, yesterday, yesterday, my friend, uh, the, uh, our Kabir and I's Bulgarian friend who used to be on the Future Store for a bit, he went out to buy some fruit and um, he knows that the Pakistani mangoes are the goat, right? <laughs> so he goes and asks the shopkeeper, uh, where, where are these mangoes from? And then he thinks that the shopkeeper is going to, like the shopkeeper, in his opinion, is like a bit embarrassed to tell him Pakistan. So he, <laughs> so then the shopkeeper is like sort of explaining, yeah, they're from Pakistan, but you know, they're really, really good. And he's like, mate, mate, like, they're the best I know. Like, give me like five boxes. <laughs> nice. 
By the way, that Bulgarian friend that Ash, uh, Ash was mentioning, who was on the Futures Tour, that's Grigor Dimitrov. <laughs> <laughs> I, think we right. need to, I think we need to do maybe four episodes about Dimitrov, but is he done? Can we just end with that? Is he done? Uh, yeah. He's done. <laughs> He's got to be done, huh? Were you, wait, wait, well, there's a cheeky episode last year, right? Which is just about Dimitrov. Yeah. Then, and then like you guys were like, special. Yeah, I think he can come that back. Was our best, that was our best thing. episode. <laughs> that was our best episode. <laughs> He's gonna mm. he's gonna win a grand slam. He's gonna come back. I think maybe no, he, he to get he's the done. I think he sh- it's time he goes into uh, he goes he becomes a commentator. Yeah, <clears throat> he'd probably be pretty good. Yeah. Oh, Federer's playing great today. <laughs> <laughs> I was supposed to be like him. Um, <laughs> all right. Before we come too self indulgent, I say let's cut it. All right, cheeky volley. This Peace, is a good dude. one. Peace. Hey, wait, Dave. What's going on the rest of the day? What are you up to? Uh, I'm visiting our mutual friend who actually connected us in the first place, Anirudh Matur, a housewarming. Nice. Um, he's been trying to contact me, but actually just had like his phone WhatsApp hijacked by an mm-hmm. Indian number. Um, sounds I like, I feel like that sounds like that. something that would happen to Ani. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yes, so. uh, does Ani wear scarves? Uh, does he have a summer, a summer scarf collection <laughs> as well? I'll be very disappointed if he's not. Um, <laughs> is, wait, you're going to Ani's housewarming? No, it's, a, it's another friend's house warming. But um, yeah, I've, I've told him my previous plans, which is being on this podcast. So I'm sure, <laughs> sure you'll get another listener through him. If he's dude, not already. Dude, he, Annie's got to listen. We got to get him on, dude. Talk about geopolitics. <laughs> how, how, how long is your max episode length? <laughs> it's going to be good. All right. Peace, dude. Right, Have mates. a great day. Thanks Later. for having me. Mate.